I think we're wired up here. Um, my name is Dr. Suzanne Snyder, and I'm here with Grace and John Sancock from Kenya, East Africa. And this is HIV Care Session. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, we come before you and just thank you for your almighty power, uh, for being the creator of the universe, and for giving us Jesus and, and salvation. And we recognize that you have created this moment, you have created this time, you've created this place, uh, you've created each one of us, um, you've created our education, our background, our, our gifts and experience, and Lord, we just want to put all that back into your hands and freely say we're yours. And this session is yours. You, you understand what's going on with HIV. And you've been through the epidemic. You've been present. And you continue to provide. And we just count on you as the great physician that someday you will bring total healing, either on this world or in the world to come. So, God, as we focus on this small part of our activities and your activity in the world, we ask for your blessing. We invite your Holy Spirit to be here and to be a part of our discussion. And we just pray that John and Grace and I, that you will give us your Holy Spirit to say whatever it is you want us to say. And that you would be glorified. And really, that's why we're here. And that's what we do, what we do. We're, we're we want to glorify Jesus. So it's in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm Dr. Suzanne Snyder. This is John and Grace Sancock from Kenya, East Africa. And we're leading the session on HIV care. Uh, we're going to be looking worldwide at the current demographics, um, but also kind of honing in on, well, where are we in the epidemic? What are the goals worldwide and where are we at? What's working and maybe what still are the challenges? Uh, we have nothing to disclose. I was a medical missionary in Kenya, Africa for 15 years, uh, working among the Maasai, living and working among the Maasai people group with an agency called Christian Missionary Fellowship. John and Grace are also from Kenya. And uh, when I first arrived on the field in 1992, they were both nurses in the clinic system that Christian Missionary Fellowship had begun. At that time, there were five clinics. They were nurses there. I came in on as missionary physician. Um, so we have known each other and been co-workers and dear friends for 27 years. And it's just really, that's amazing in and of itself. And at this point, I just want to share a small piece that I have no doubt that God is working because it took God's provision to get particularly grace here. Um, we have been praying, if I can share, for 10 years for her to have a chance to visit a country outside of Kenya. She got a passport in faith. They were actually invited to come to the States. Uh, she applied for her visa and it was denied. So we started praying and I wrote a letter of introduction and uh, in, an invitation to be co-presenters here. And she had the courage to go back to that office and face another interview and try again. And it was granted this time. So, yes. Yay, God. So I know that they're supposed to be here. So I'm going to try not to talk too much 
and let them share because they, they are doing HIV AIDS care on a day-to-day basis. So the clinic system where I initially worked, um, after our second furlough, when we came back to the States, uh, John at that point was a nurse in the system and we asked him to take over the administrative duties. When we came back from furlough, he had done such a great job, we said, you just keep doing that. And he's been the clinic administrator ever since um, and now as chief executive officer. That group of clinics is now independent. Uh, first of all, praise God, they're still open. They're still functioning. Uh, they take care of a catchment area of 100,000 people. They see over 10,000 patients. How many patients a year? Yeah, actually, uh, we see over 100,000 patients a year. You see over 100,000 patients a year. Uh, and they do a lot. I mean, there's primary medical care, there's antenatal care, there's a full vaccine program, but there's also HIV AIDS care. So for today, we're just going to hone in on just that little piece of it. Um, but now I want to kind of turn things over to John so he can better describe what's going on with that clinic system at this point. Everybody. Sambo. Hakuna Matata. Okay, my name is John Sangok. I'm the program director for Community Health Partners in Kenya, an affiliate ministry of CMF International. We are actually based in Kenya, 160 kilometers southwest of Nairobi, at the heart of the eighth one of the world, the Maasai Maragam Reserve. That's where we are based. So, Community Health Partners is actually a non-governmental organization. Started by CMF in the early 80s with uh, several ambulatory clinics. CMF came into the Maasai country to do evangelism. But they found a community with no health care. So they started these first aid clinics in the corner of their houses. These are missionaries who came early in the 80s. Later on, they moved these first aid clinics from their houses to rooms outside their houses. Actually, that's when the ministry began. And the ministry, the medical ministry, grew to an extent that the CMF, it was taking time for the missionaries to do evangelism. So they decided to look for the locals and Kenyanize the whole medical ministry. Later on, the medical ministry grew to a total of about 14 health facilities. These are spread all over Maasai country, but in the remote part of southwestern Kenya. That is in the Naro County, for those who have been to Kenya, and also Kajado counties. And at times, even crossing the border to Tanzania. Maasai are nomadic people, they are pastoralists. So they move. And giving health care, we move with them. Through what we call community outreaches. Currently, we run about eight health facilities with um, four major health centers and also four dispensaries and multiple outreaches that go, which are actually 
in different parts of the Maasai country. Um, our main goal, CHP main goal, is actually to give witness to the love and compassion of Jesus Christ through the provision of holistic healthcare services so as to improve the standard of the general public at large. Initially, we were to focusing on the Maasai community, but as the needs grew, we also have to go to, to extend ourselves into other communities around us. Our mission statement is actually to integrate a quality and affordable healthcare outreach ministry into the local church and into the local community. Our vision is to offer accessible, quality, and affordable health services for all the people that we serve. And of course, our core values are accountability, transparency, partnership, professionalism, responsibility, confidentiality, networking, performance, teamwork, compassion, patience, and optimism. That's actually, those are our core values. As we're just starting to look at HIV AIDS, this just highlights that it's been a 30-year process. Um, WHO, World Health Organization, just celebrated its 30th year of World AIDS Days. I'm not expecting you to read all the details on that, but just wanted to highlight this has been a 30-year process, and so kind of where are we at at this point? When I was in the early 90s, um, we really had to just start with um, um, seeing patients in late-stage disease. Uh, in the early 90s, as the wave of the HIV AIDS epidemic hit us, we didn't have testing, we didn't have any treatment, and we were seeing people die. And so it was really just a clinical diagnosis and um, symptomatic care or care for infections, but there weren't any, it wasn't hard at that point. Um, so really being limited in what we could do, uh, we realized that education was the key for prevention at that time, and so we started with the church. That was what we had available. And so the clinic system worked together with the local church, um, giving eight seminars to try to just raise awareness of what HIV AIDS was all about and how it was transmitted and how it's not. Um, a lot has changed, and at this point, uh, the CHV clinic system has a full, it's a full spectrum HIV and AIDS uh, treatment and care program. So there's testing, there's antenatal care, ANC, um, there's um, ART, the antiretroviral therapy, which finally came in about 1996. Um, so a lot, a lot of progress has been made. So you may think, well, if we've been in this for 30 years, why is it still a problem? Well, the numbers are still staggering. Overall, 32 million people have died of AIDS, and even today, there's still 37.9 million currently infected. So worldwide, 37.9 million people are living with HIV. And last year alone, 770,000 people died. It's still staggering. And there have been 1.7 million new infections just last year. And you may think, okay, whew, those are big numbers. Kind of put that into context. Um, this table kind of summarizes those three big numbers and breaks it out in terms of men and women. So again, 37.9 million worldwide living HIV, 1.7 million new infections last year, and 770,000 deaths. Compared to eight years ago, um, we're doing 
good. We're getting a lot of progress. The bubbles here are getting smaller. So over eight years span, there's been about a 50% reduction in the number of deaths. So that's fantastic. Um, number of people infected has gone down about 40% per year um, over that eight-year span. So, yes, the, the bubbles are getting smaller. Um, the number of people infected or new infections is going down. But still, just huge numbers. Um, and then the goal, uh, the goal is to try to end AIDS by 2030. 2030 is the target worldwide. And we'll talk some more about those targets. Uh, geographically, um, two-thirds of all AIDS cases are still in Africa. Um, so while this is a global problem, definitely Africa bears the brunt and carries the weight of, of the pandemic. Uh, just to put it in another perspective, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, we're talking 4,600 new cases a day. Two-thirds are in Africa. Um, but if you look at the literature, and I'll be kind of speaking kind of globally what some of the literature has to say, and then we'll be counting on John and Grace to give their day-to-day -day experience on the ground um, in Kenya. Um, of the new infections, 54% are in key populations. We're going to come back to this a little bit later in terms of key high-risk groups. Um, the ones who have kind of uh, been marginalized and are, are now the brunt of the new infections, and, and that's where the targeted care is. So tell us, from your experience, what does it look like? What are the numbers? Uh, actually, with the Kenya status, uh, the situation in Kenya, as we speak today, as per 2018, the latest data we have, new HIV cases identified were around 91,000, as you can see, and also the people who are on treatment around 7.5 7 million, children 560,000, and also adults slightly over close to 7 million, as the number suggests. Can you hear him in the back? No. Okay. So, so, okay, we'll work a little bit harder on trying to. Um, just want to highlight uh, a couple of the major goals and um over the last few years. In, 2000, in 2013, we had a set goals uh, for the pandemic. Um, next year, so we're kind of at where are we at. One main goal is being accepted um, by all the big players. The World Health Organization, UN, Global Fund, is to end AIDS by 2030. Okay? So we're really hoping to see an end of the epidemic, end of the pandemic in 2030. That's 10 years away. Okay? So a lot of work to be done. And then you may hear, say, read in the literature about 1999. And what does that mean? That's a key strategy um, that the UN proposed in 2013. And it basically means that the goal is that 90% of all HIV-positive people will be identified, so they'll know their status. And of those 90% that know their status, that 90% will be on treatment. And of those, 90% would be um, adequately suppressed in terms of viral load, so adequate treatment. So 90-90-90, they want 90% of HIV-positive patients to be identified, 90% on treatment, and of those 90% successful treatment with suppressed viral load. Kind of hidden in this strategy is the concept that the best prevention is treatment. 
So recognizing that by far, HIV AIDS is a sexually transmitted disease. We see transmission at this point mainly in two ways. One, from mother to child. Uh, mothers uh, through pregnancy, it's about 15% transmission. Then it goes up to about 45% transmission when you include delivery and then breastfeeding. And then secondly, sexually transmitted diseases <coughs> is by far the largest um, mode of trans- transmission. So to end AIDS, um, the best way to accomplish that is to get everybody who is HIV positive treated. Because those that are adequately treated, uh, HIV positive patients who have an unsustainable <coughs> load, their chance of transmission goes down by 97%. And for pregnant moms and breastfeeding moms, the transmission rate goes from that 15 to 45% to essentially zero. So, this is critical. If we can get all HIV-positive patients, persons treated adequately, then the transmission rate is going to just plummet. So that's why the focus is on treatment as prevention. All right. So this is a worldwide goal, but you told me that in Kenya, Kenya has upped up the ante. So what is Kenya's goal at this point? Um, actually, as we speak, what's new is we are moving from the 1990 strategy to the 1995 strategy. That means all patients who come to health facilities should be tested for HIV. And those positives, 95% should be put on treatment. And those on treatment, 95% should have their viral load suppressed. And, of course, 95% of those patients should be retained in care. So that's actually the new strategy on the ground. It's actually, it has just been introduced to our hand facilities. So that's a new strategy. This is just to end the, the AIDS epidemic by the year 2030. So, Okay. So I, I, Kenya has ambitious goals, and I'm proud of them for that. So where are we at with, um, I think I've got this one, so I'm okay. In terms of this 1999 goal, how are we doing? Well, worldwide, um, the World Health Organization has statistics that we're not at the 90-90-90 yet, but we've got 79% of all HIV-positive patients identified, HIV-positive people know their status, and of that 62% are in treatment, but only 53% are actually adequately suppressed. So, make progress, but um, not quite there yet. So this is globally, and I want you to just kind of hang on to those numbers. Globally, 79% are identified, 62% are in treatment, 53% are adequately surprised with your viral load. Okay. So the first step is to identify, to find HIV-positive folks, to get them identified, for people to know their status. And how are you doing that in Kenya? Yeah, actually now, in order, what we're doing in Kenya currently is we are actually following the virus. We want to eliminate the virus. So now, instead of doing what we call the mass testing, now we are actually shifted to targeted testing. Those are the people at risk, 
including um, pregnant mothers, TB patients, and also what we, uh, I mean, um, even the self-testing, what we call uh, P, PNS. That's the partner notification service, I mean, uh, services, whereby the partners who are positive will be able to notify their partners on their status. So we are moving there. We're also focusing on family testing. This is really, really new. And, um, you know, we have self-testing kits currently. So we are, this is exactly what is currently happening on the ground. And then when you test at home, definitely you have to come back for what you with the test. So those are the new strategies. That's actually what's new on the ground. It's not uh, yet on the world map, but that's actually new. We are working closely with the mutual funds and also other partners in the Christian Health Association of Kenya and together with the Center for Disease Control. So testing really has kind of gone through an evolution. <coughs> uh, initially it was just a diagnostic testing and counseling, and then when the World Health Organization implemented provider-initiated testing, that was a big change. But now we're even going to self-testing. How do you do that? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so what we do by self-testing, um, let me give an example of a couple who comes, who walks in for the natal clinic, and they are not prepared to get the testing, especially the husband, because it is the mother who is pregnant. So it is the mother to take them the test. So we normally put them on counseling sessions, and then we give them the kit to take home. It only began the other day. So uh, we have the uh, counselors who take the, uh, the client through the counseling session and they are given the test kit to take home. And when they test, they bring the results back to the clinic. So that's what we do. For confirmation. For confirmation. And then now they get the results from there. Since we don't let them call, we let them come back to the clinic. It used to be that you would test every patient that came into the clinic, but you're not doing mass testing anymore. It's, it's actually what we call targeted testing. It's really, really new, and this is what we the ground. Practical on the ground. Okay. For ANC's uh, antenatal care, it's still a requirement by law that all pregnant women are tested? Okay, another initiative. Um, 2016, the World Health Organization implemented a strategy called Treat All. So it used to be that we would either by clinical stage or by CD4 count determine when someone started antiretrovirals. It's kind of a test them, they're positive. Okay, well now we have to decide. But not everybody started right away. In fact, they, you know, they wait some time and it wasn't until the CD4 count dropped to a certain level or clinical stage or whatever. But now... It's, it's different. What's, what we're doing is treating all. So any HIV-positive person is immediately put on treatment, regardless of their CD4 count, regardless of their age, regardless of the clinical stage. They're, they're initiated right away. Are you, is this what you, your experience is? Right. Okay. And also all pregnant moms are put on treatment right away. Okay. Okay. Um, so treatment, we'll just kind of look at worldwide. Um, we have 23.3 million people, HIV positive 
uh, people on treatment globally. That's about 62%. Remember from that other chart, about 60% of HIV-positive people worldwide that are on treatment, about half of the children. We're doing a little better with pregnant women. It's about 80% of pregnant moms are on treatment. This is another way to look at that, and the bubble here is getting bigger, which is very good. And the goal is to get 90% of all HIV-positive patients on treatment by 2030. So we're getting there. Again, um, geographically, two-thirds of those in treatment are in Africa. And tell us your experience. What's your treatment experience there? Uh, In our current CHP care and treatment in 2019, uh, pediatrics on earth started. We are five adolescents. We are ten. Uh, Adults were 121, total to 136 in total. Uh, the current treatment, pediatrics we had 56, adolescents we had 70, adults 876, total to 102. For viral load done, we had pediatrics alone 37, adolescents 59, adults 758, and total in number were 854. Now the separation rates, we had a pediatric totaling to 66%, adolescent 84%, and adults 91%. I was astounded by particularly this last number. Because worldwide, um, we've, we've got a rate of about 52, 53% of adequate suppression worldwide, and they're accomplishing 91%. That is phenomenal. So we want to hear more about how you're able to do that. Um, Grace is the specialist in maternal care. Um, She's the director of the PMCT program, which is Preventing Mother-to-Child Transmission Program. And definitely they're having more success by decreasing the transmission. We commented on how HIV is transmitted through pregnancy, delivery, breastfeeding, and that rate goes down to nearly zero if the mom is on um, art therapy, and that's continued through breastfeeding. And so I want Grace to tell us more about their program <coughs> and how they make it work. Okay. Uh, I am the coordinator and director of the PMPCT. PMPCT stands for Prevention of Mother to Child Transmission. So we had our first antenatal clinic attendants who were 3,726 non positives at entry to antenatal care. Those who had already known their status before they were pregnant, we are 64. Uh, number tested for HIV were 3,262, and we had new positives were 11. Number on maternal uh, antiretroviral prophylaxis were 75, infant prophylaxis 75, to, uh, and then we had uh, 100%. So what we mean by infant prophylaxis, we don't give them treatment. We just give them a prophylaxis for a period of time, two years, and then we discharge them from the program. I was astounded at looking at these numbers, seeing that um, HIV-positive moms known coming into antenatal were 64, and then the new positive is 11. So we've got 75 patients there, and all 75 are in the program, and all 75 are untreated, and all 75 have kids that are in prophylaxis. 
That's a hundred percent. That's phenomenal. What we do, uh, every uh, mother who comes to a dental clinic, who tends to be positive, we don't wait, we just go ahead and give treatment. And we also do the viral load the same day, and counseling session starts. And we also have the follow-ups, we follow them back to their homes. You know, during this period, a mother walks into the clinic, and then she's, she tends to be positive. So you can imagine that anxiety denial, fears, so we normally put them on counseling sessions and follow up them back at homes to, uh, to make them understand about the virus, to make them understand that whatever the situation, the baby will turn negative. And that is our joy. And every mother hears that, that the baby is going to turn negative. We are all happy. So that's what our main thing is. I've heard you had great parties. Each year you celebrate. Yeah, every year we celebrate because we, we call them birthdays. All the negative babies and their mothers, we come around and we celebrate. We buy them presents. And that is really our joy. There's nothing that is so joyful than seeing a baby turning negative. And the first thing a mother will ask you after she turns positive, what will happen to my baby? So it is really difficult. Try to convince a mother your baby is going to turn negative. It's a difficult situation. But all in all, they turn negative. Success with the treatment. So tell us a bit more about, in the literature you may see the term EMTCT, the elimination of mother-to-child transmission. So tell us a bit more about your program and how it works. Okay, in our program, we normally also have uh, what we call elimination of uh, mother-to-child transmission. Although these days we really involve the men. You know, sometimes, I don't know whether this is the same men that we handle us is in our country. Men in our country are a bit stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are stubborn. Because now they, they say, okay, the mother is the one who is pregnant, so take care of the mother. But in other words, we normally have a men session or men dialogue whereby we involve the men in the treatment of the mother. We test them or give them the test kit and if they are positive, okay, we go ahead and, and cancel them together as couple testing and cancelling. So it has really given us a chance to uh, talk to these men and we are seeing them really coming closer to their wives. We know it's really good when a mother Okay, we release the mother to go home. Where is she going? She's going to meet the husband there. And she's going, the husband will ask her, where is the book, where is the booklet? What were you told in the clinic? It's really hard to tell her, to tell the husband, my results are positive. For all of us, it is hard. So as we bring these men on board, and as we continue to counsel them, and the mothers are going to get the support from their husbands, from their spouses, then life will run smoothly. So our aim is to eliminate that bias completely to zero to hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, just to add on the main dialogue, just the one place I see, Maasai men are very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> including me sometimes. Because I'm a Maasai man. So what it's a new strategy. Actually where we put it's cultural and changing culture will take time. 
So what we do with this strategy is we have what we call goat slaughter sessions. <laughs> we slaughter goats and then we invite men to come from that locality. And then we sit the whole day, we dialogue with them that why are you violating this woman right? Because, you know, women rights violation in our community is really high. So we dialogue with them, we don't force them, and that's actually has given very good positive results, resulting in positive manners not being rejected. So I just wanted to add that. So I don't know whether men here in America are serving you. <laughs> so we'll have all that in agreement, tested by law. Okay, but we don't call it really by law very much, but it's like a routine. And this, uh, they now know that once I go to the clinic, I'll be tested. So they are aware. They are aware there is a virus. Once I go to the clinic, I'll be tested. So you don't now force them. They are now open to, to get tested. And then they have a lifelong free blood ad for HIV and pregnant mothers. We have a, okay, what, what drugs are you using now? Okay, for now we have what we call tenovapid, lamipodine, and evaporins for the pregnant mothers. And then we have a very load. Let's, we have a very load of two categories. Is this a pregnant mother is already on earth or on ARVs, we do the uh, viral load on the spot. But if she's new, this is her first time to be tested and she has turned to be positive, we give her medication for three months and then we do the viral load after that. And then we also take care of the babies. Uh, when the mother comes to the clinic, no matter uh, the decision that she has come in, we always give her some drugs to carry home. We give nevirapine and zidovidine. And this baby will keep uh, taking the those, those two medications for six weeks. And when they bring the baby to the clinic for immunization, we will now remove the zidovidine and continue with the nevirapine and septrin until the cessation of breastfeeding. She can continue as much breastfeeding as much as she needs wants. It is not like before where we used to tell them, okay, you can breastfeed for three months or six months. Now they have an option to carry on breastfeeding as long as they wish. So the baby gets the benefit of the breast milk. Okay, we continue. Okay, in infants, we also do a HIV testing, which we call the a PCR. And the PCR stands for Pap Cells Reagent. And we do it at six weeks. The baby, the, the mother walks in the baby at six weeks and we withdraw blood and we do the first testing. That we call the initial test. And then again after six months we do another test. At one year we do another PCR. So you do three PCRs in that baby. And the last test that will be done will be at 18 months. And this is a rapid test just like the, any other clients. And that's where now we are going to discharge this baby from the KBCT uh, program. So, uh, we say that the infant and the mother are going to continue with the treatment. 
and as I had said before, the baby will continue for six weeks, then the therapy and the dopamine, which they are separate. And then after the six weeks, we change now the 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 dopamine, when we give the acetylene, no acetylene, cortimoxazole, to continue for as long as the baby is going to be breastfed, but six weeks after the cessation of breastfeeding. So the mother is now free to breastfeed the baby, and we also teach them on exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months, just in any other babies, and to continue with immunizations. So at first we begin with the immunization from birth, which is the breast milk. It is the first immunization when the baby is delivered. Within the first one hour, put the baby to the breast, and the baby is going to, re- to receive the first immunization. We also have the growth and monitoring charts whereby we monitor the growth and the weight of these babies. And we give them nutritional uh, assessment and interventions where needed. Okay. Um, in talking a bit about some terms that you may see in the literature on prevention, uh, we used to talk about um, discordant couples, now politically correct term is serodifferent couples. Um, there's kind of two strategies, treating the HIV positive partner, uh, which is TASP. Um, that's an acronym, it just means treatment as prevention. So basically HIV positive patient treatment, and that's going to uh, allow prevention. Again, if they're adequately suppressed if with the viral load, if it's undetectable viral load, um, that transition rate goes down by 70, uh, 97%. So it's essentially zero. Um, and again, we treat all. So regardless of the CD4 count or other uh, factors, HIV positive partner is treated, a lifetime treatment. So then the other hand is PrEP, which is treatment of the HIV negative partner. Um, and while that's still in the literature, it's daily treatment, ongoing treatment. We said, really, in Kenya, not doing that anymore. Is that correct? It's not very common. Prep? Okay. We are still giving prep. Still giving, okay. Because sometimes, okay, they come in walking and saying, okay, we had a condom bus, I had a, a, a protected sex, so to that extent, we are still offering them. So offering, yeah. It seems like it's less prevalent because we're doing, we're putting the focus on the, the treatment. treatment. Okay. Um, in the literature, uh, you'll note key high-risk population groups. Again, referring back, 54% of the new HIV cases each year are now in these key high-risk groups. Um, and those are defined as uh, men who are having sex with men, I mean, drug abusers, people in prison or close quarters, sex workers, and transgender people are those high-risk groups. And a lot of effort globally is being focused on those groups for prevention. Uh, in the literature, there's also an event-driven PrEP. So instead of an HIV-negative patient partner taking uh, medicines ongoing daily, um, this is a kind of a pulse therapy, event-driven. It's only four pills. Um, two that are taken before sex, the third is 24 hours later, and then the fourth is 48 hours later. Um, this seems to be, um, has better compliance, there's fewer side effects, it's easier uh, for folks to manage, and it's more convenient. So it's being 
um, targeted particularly on those high-risk groups. Um, Post-exposure prophylaxis is still out there. Um, I'm an ER doctor now. Um, this is something that we deal with, but really it's um, less common, fortunately. Um, and uh, we have same nurses that go through those steps and provide those medications. A 28-day course, you have the same in Kenya. Yeah. Okay, another profession, profession, sorry, another prevention strategy um, <coughs> Primarily targeting 15 countries, ESA, in Eastern and Southern Africa is VMMC. It's an acronym. stands for Voluntary Medical Male Circumcision. Um, John, you noted you're not seeing that too, mu too much in your community because Maasai circumcise males culturally, but in cultures that don't circumcise, this is a strategy. Yeah, it's a strategy in Kenya. Okay. Especially among the communities that do not circumcise males. Okay. Especially in Western Kenya and some parts of the coast. How well is this accepted? It is really accepted. Hmm. Yeah. It, it brings a 60% reduction in risk rate uh, for men in terms of men transmission. So in terms of H, uh, HIV AIDS, uh, when folks with AIDS die, what is the primary cause of death? What's the main thing? TB. TB is actually the first OIS that kills AIDS patients. Okay. Yeah. Well, really it's a third of uh, AIDS deaths are TB related. So let's talk about TB for a bit here. What are you finding at CHP? Okay, CHP currently, newly diagnosed CHP cases were 97. Number tested for HIV were 86. Number known positive 15, new positives 7, and number on heart uh, 20, 21 percent. I did the math there just to figure out some of the percentages, and I think you're doing a superb job here in terms of identifying uh, HIV positive patients with TB is 89 percent, and then on treatments, 91 percent. How do you, what do you attribute your success in being able to have such a high rate of those folks continue treatment? Okay. Once we diagnose a, a patient with tuberculosis and maybe with HIV, what we do first of all is to try and uh, reduce the drug load because we imagine taking the tuberculosis medication and the ARDs, so we put the patient first on two weeks tuberculosis treatment. Because TB kills even more than the HIV, so we first of all take care of the tuberculosis by giving the patient a two-week tuberculosis treatment. And once this patient now has at least um, recovered and can now handle uh, uh, the retrovirus and drugs, the client has to come back and relieve the antiretrovirus. And now the patient is able to take hand-in-hand hand with the nutritional also intervention ongoing counseling really stabilizes this patient. So it has really given us uh, that number. They are not dying because we are stabilizing them fast. Uh, in addition to that, we have what we call TAS. Those are treatment adherence support where we have officers or family exemption workers who actually follow these patients to their villages and talk to them and encourage them to take the pills 
and also encourage the family support. So we have we call them um, treatment adherence support. Yeah. Okay. Um, what here is what medicines do you use for TB HIV? Okay. For tuberculosis, we normally have what two phases. And the first intensity phase is where now the patient can really uh, okay, transmit this tuberculosis if not suitable medication. So you give them a two month treatment and after the two months treatment we now give what you call the continuation phase, which is four months treatment. The intensity phase is two months treatment. And then now we can now combine the antiretrovirus with the tuberculosis medication. Um, listed there some acronyms for medications. Uh, DPG. We're going to highlight that. Um, Dolutegravir is the new player. Um, the World Health Organization recommendations, um, the guidelines for treatment. Now, basically, have Dolutegravir or DTG as the first line backbone of treatment. Uh, it's still three drug um, art. Um, but basically, dolutegravir is the backbone, it's the foundation, and then other medications are added to it. Um, again, every HIV positive person is started on treatment, ideally with dolutegravir is one of the ingredients. Um, and in terms of global recommendations, it's for everybody um, over 20 kilos. So children, pregnant moms, all people, just only um, not for infants less than 20 kilos. Now the question, the, just to review it a little bit, it's an integrase strand transfer inhibitor. Uh, it seems to be easier to take. It has fewer side effects. Um, as I reached, researched it, really a three to five kilo weight gain was about the only major complaint uh, and side effect that people had. Um, so it's much easier to take and decrease side effects. And there's actually um, a high genetic barrier for not developing resistance. So this is also very helpful. And it comes in fixed-dose combos. used to be a concern that it was related to neural tube defects, but that early research has shown that's not true. That's unfounded, and it's felt to be safe in pregnancy. Um, this is just, uh, this is very complicated. I don't expect you to be able to read all this. It's just to let you know there are guidelines out there. They're very detailed. Um, very specific in the medications. And this information is on the World Health Organization website. You don't have to try to memorize it here. It's uh, on the WHO website, and you can find it there. Worldwide, there's definitely progression to dolutegravir being the first-line treatment. Um, what about in Kenya? What is your experience? Do you have it available yet? Yeah, it is available, and it is now the first-line treatment. And uh, of late, before we flew in here, it was uh, discovered that it had nothing to do with the pregnancy, and so the mothers can take it safely. And as long as now we put the mother on folic acid, you know folic acid prevents the neuro, whatever, defects of the baby, so the baby is safe by taking the, the lithography. What about children? We, have we don't give the pediatrics. No, we only give the above 35 kilograms and above. Yeah, so no, we don't give the baby. Not available yet. 
Right. Um, WHO notes for neonates using uh, a raw based regimen, raw well, type of beer. But you don't know that. Some of are available in our facilities. Okay, so it's not available worldwide yet. In terms of knowing if treatment is effective, how do you check that out? Okay, like now for the for the babies, as I said, we normally get uh, three uh, sessions of blood samples collection at six weeks, six months, and uh, at one year. So now at 18 months, we get the last testing, and that's where now we know, okay, this baby is negative or positive. And if the baby turns to be positive, there is always a linkage to the comprehensive care and treatment. So this, these are just what we do. Okay, this is information on the, the viral load is a PCR test. You click after the application, and it's done. It's very elegant, actually, just a dried blood spot. So all you need is a drop of blood. It can be put on a card, dried, kept at room temperature. Sent in to Nairobi? Yeah, we sent to Nairobi because we don't yet, we don't yet have the, the machine, so we send our samples to Nairobi. Okay. Yeah. So it goes hand in hand with the, the viral loads. Uh, for the mothers, as I said before, uh, we have two categories. A mother who just walks in and gets tested at an antenatal clinic, we will give treatment first, and after three months, we now do the viral load. But the mother who already knows her status and is on uh, antiretrovirus therapy will do a viral load, no matter when it was done. It will always be there. And then now we continue doing the uh, viral loads after every six months until the viral load is, uh, the virus is undetected and she can now, and she has decided to cease breastfeeding. That's now when we put her on the uh, annual. All right, so let's talk about care and support. John, give us some highlights on how, how on earth you get these great numbers and the success areas of your program. Okay, just like what uh, we have been mentioning, um, what's new now is actually to retain patients who actually on ART. And one of our strategies is what I said about the treatment adherence support, where we have uh, community extension, uh, community health extension officers or staff, those who actually follow up on these patients in the villages and talk to, to them together with their relatives to make sure that they don't abandon the pills because of either side effects or, you know, other things like culture. So that's actually one of the most successful uh, strategies that we are implementing in our rural facilities. We also do the phone call. When the patients come, when we diagnose you with HIV and AIDS, we definitely put you on treatment and we take your contacts. If you don't have a, a cell phone, almost everybody now in our communities who have cell phones. So if you don't have a cell phone, we'll take a number from your relative. And um, if you, or from your neighbor. So then we can be able to remind you of the appointments, either do firelots, or maybe when you're supposed to come back for drug refills. And another successful um, 
strategies that we employ, is actually linked in, in referrals. We make sure that when we diagnose you with HIV and AIDS, we identify a, care, a HIV care center near you. So that if you are not able to come to our facilities, or we can always refer you to the next facilities. But one, we make sure that we make sure that you'll get there. You don't get lost on the way. Because many of the patients, when they refer, they don't go to the facility. So through our treatment our, our and support team, we definitely make sure that we are going to the facility that you are referred to. Uh, another thing, uh, with our, uh, another success, is we are doing what we call integration of HIV, HIV services into our existing services. Um, this is actually, we, we want sustainability. You see, if you can be able to, if you, if you are reading or you are following up, we have the donor fatigue is already there. Donor fatigue. Yes. Okay. There is a lot of uh, you know funding cuts. So what we are doing as CAP is to try to address those gaps before they come. So we are trying to make HIV services to be routine. And we are working closely with the government to make sure that by the time their funding goes, nobody will miss HIV services. Yeah. So that's actually one of the services, integration of the HIV services. Talked about men dialogue, men involvement. Yeah, we have already mentioned a bit about this thing called men involvement or men dialogue. Uh, I think we do this across all our health intervention areas in CAP, including sanitation, including maternal child health, and including HIV. Because we have already mentioned. Men in Kenya or Africa are very stubborn. They don't change. Especially the old generation from my age down. They are very stubborn. I think the youth are a bit more flexible now. So we invite all these men to a boat eating session. The whole day we see with them, we, they have to tell us, why do, why do they do this? Why do they not do this? We have to agree the way forward. Otherwise, we are going to be left behind as a community and our people will be wiped out by HIV and AIDS and other life-threatening diseases. And then, of course, another new thing in care treatment for HIV and AIDS is a spirit, we do what we call spiritual referrals. We are a church-based organization. And naturally what's happening in Kenya, when somebody is diagnosed with HIV and AIDS, the first thing he does is to sneak into the church. Because he knows that's actually where hope and compassion is found. I don't know whether you are getting that. It's from our own research. And then what happened? This 
patient will be sick when he's in church. It's a, it's a very big challenge that people do not understand. The, 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 this patient will start developing AIDS while he's in the church. He knew exactly that he, he, he was sick. He had HIV. So what he does, he sneaks into the church. Poly poly. Poly poly means slowly slowly. So what we do, when we get you HIV positive, we have to identify a, a spiritual leader or a pastor or a minister near you. And we, 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 we dialogue with you so that we can be able to refer you to this spiritual leader. So that you can be able to, to continue looking you spiritual nourishment. So you'll go directly to the church. Another, so of course, the, 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 the spiritual leader will be sharing the word of God. And of course, the same HIV positive people will be integrated, I mean, we integrate our care in the form of support groups. So, support groups is where we, 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 we will take all people who are positive, we'll meet with them, they share together. They give hope to one another, and we also share resources together. So that's exactly what happened. And of course, I said about us on visitation, we have, you know, we are nomadic people. And where we work, the area is very fast. Villages are far from one another. So we have a team that visit these patients and their villages together with their relatives. And these are normally pastors or people in the church. Because what community health partners does as a way of empowering the church is we identify people in the local churches and we employ them to be employed so that they can be able to have some income so that they can be able to go back and support the church. So we want CHP to give back to the church in that form. And of course, we have the matters. Matter matters. Uh, okay. On the side of CNPCT, we have we have engaged on what we call matter matters. A matter mother is a mother who had who has already gone on uh, through CNPCT successfully, has one or two children, other children three, and so we call them and they are, we are training them and they are a dictate counseling session to this mother. Maybe we are really unable to, to control. You know, sometimes it's very hard. Whenever a mother comes to the clinic, the first thing she does is to begin to cry. So whenever she steps in, she cries. So it cannot continue for long. So we call another mother who takes her through the counseling, giving an example of her own self, and they become friends. She visits them at home, and that's how now she gets to get in our support group. Yeah, and also we have uh, youth support groups. We uh, will take our youth who is really uh, doing well on adherence. Our viral load is suppressed. And uh, doing well, in, okay, like keeping appointments, taking a drugs well. We recruit at least one or two to take care of the other youth. So whenever we have a support group, they are in the front line, they treat the others, they are encouraged. So that really helps us because now they trust them very much.
Okay, with the continuity of care and support, you know, HIV AIDS patients, we have so many orphans. As we treat these family, mothers, fathers, they die, most of them, or they become vulnerable. So what we do, I told you one of our strategy is actually referrals. We connect you to sponsorships for those people who are doing sponsorships. We, we try to, we, we specialize in referrals to make sure that we don't really get too much that we cannot be able to handle. And we also refer them to the church. Working with other organizations. Yeah, working with other yes. organizations. That's what we do. And then, of course, many people will do, will come and do PBS with these kids on a regular basis. And also, one of our, our care support strategy is actually we build the capacity of pastors to be able to handle all these infant patients. So that's one thing, what we do, and church leaders. And of course, we integrate HIV services to be part of the church activities. So we encourage the pastors to make sure that some of these activities, like support groups, like uh, sponsorship, are well done in the church. Yeah. Great integration with the church. So you're seeing tremendous increases in improvement in retention rates um, and suppression rates. Okay, according to the MTCT, uh, out of I think 90 mothers or closer to that number, we had only two babies. And one of them just came to give birth in our clinic. She, did not, she had not attended to the clinic. And so she just walked in and gave birth. And that's when we knew that she was positive. She had not gone to any clinic, so that's when the baby turned to be positive. And one, we always have a stubborn person, even in our homes. There is always one person that will give you a headache and will not really <laughs> do anything. Although you do all the counseling, you are able, you pray, you... It's just one who will not understand it. That's when the baby also turned to positive. Luckily enough, now they are really adhering and doing very well, and the baby will be turning two years in March. So we are sorry that it did happen, but now she's really compliant, doing very well. So that's that is now our success. And every end of the, of the year, we normally have a celebration where we discuss babies out of the program. And it's a very, very good um, and very successful thing to, to be happy about. And, and I think I see also we have an increase in awareness. Everybody now is aware that there is HIV. Everybody. Even in schools now they are getting lessons on HIV. And even the children now can take the message home that there is HIV. I'm one of them who do the private school education. So they know now there is HIV. So it's everybody now is aware but you still have challenges from that what, what problems are you seeing yeah actually despite the successes there are always challenges uh, we still uh, like what I said our community is a nomadic community 
Today, the people you are treating, you are talking to them yesterday, they move to another area. A new team comes in. And still the high level of stigma and discrimination affecting patients, even access to treatment, is still a challenge, especially among the polygamous families. Because when one wife turns positive, definitely, maybe, our men marry us, marry even ten wives. It's acceptable. There. So, it's a big challenge. Another thing is the nomadic lifestyles, which leads to high default rates. But we are trying to manage them through the outreaches. And of course, the region that we, we work is very, very fast. And it makes follow-ups of patients very difficult. And of course, there is increased uh, poverty rates among HIV patients because they sell everything they have to try to take care of their, themselves. And then, of course, um, high, standard, uh, high staff turnover. You know, we are based in the rural areas. So most of the medical people, the clinical officers, the nurses, uh, you know, whenever there is an opportunity in town, they migrate and they live up there. So we have to recruit afresh. So that's one of the biggest challenges we have. So we try to do everything possible to keep them in the rural areas. But as soon as there is an opportunity in Nairobi, they don't even say bye. <laughs> most of them. Brain drain. Okay, what else? And of course, uh, you know, lack of adequate funds to offer competitive staff in narration is another cause. Because we are supposed to pay more than county government, we just have a new system of government where we have what we call default units, where county government has their own medical services. So they are very close. So they offer more slightly higher salaries that we can be able to, to compete. And of course, we have those weak community linkages for personal care and other community services. Because, uh, you know, communities are diverse. And of course, there are lots of funding towards medical supplies. For, you know, like currently, we have a new funding cycle. There is a big funding cut in Kenya on the PEFA funding. So, one of the affected um, activities is actually OIs. OIs, Optionics Infection Drugs, that means now we are going to buy them directly. And what it means, because our program is sustainable, the HIV patients just to pay for them and they cannot afford. So it's a new challenge that we are waiting to, to tackle. And of course, lack of space for failure HIV related services, for instance, youth friendly services. Because government tells us we are supposed to be NPC. These are protocols. And we are working within the government integrated plan. So when they say that you do this, we do that. But the resources are inadequate. So you have requirements for activities, but not necessarily the funding to cover them. Yes. They tell, you know, as long as you're offering HIV services, so you are supposed to do it in full. Mm-hmm. And of course. We, so, thank you everyone for being here. And as you listen, you may hopefully think, well, okay, this is a big problem. How can I help? And you can. There are ways that you can help. 
And um, John and Grace host a lot of short-term mission teams and volunteers, medical and otherwise, and there's a lot of things that people can do. Um, I'm back here in the States full-time for a variety of reasons. You can come to my talk later uh, today and find out about that. But uh, we come, we go and visit as often as we can. And when visiting there, definitely medical professionals can provide medical care. Um, and you may think, well, I don't do that on a daily basis or I'm not trained. But the staff there are trained. They're English speakers. They can work as translators and they work together. They know the protocols. They know the guidelines. And so working as a team works very well and augments their activities, um, gives them encouragement, and there's also a lot of education that goes along the way. This can also provide a lot of encouragement and compassion and care for patients. I'm going to let you talk about the things that you suggested. Yeah, actually, this opportunity is for, what you can see is actually opportunities for missions. We do hope for the last 20 years, we have been holding, I mean, um, receiving medical groups and um, give them opportunity to serve in the field. So, like medical care, you know, we have people who come and stay for six months with us. It's up to us to, to look for the relevant licenses from government. And of course, the physicians can be able to provide compassion, they can educate and do a and of course, participate in support groups with spiritual nourishment as part of that package. And also, they can build capacity for pastors so that they can be able to take care of ever increasing um, HIV patients and orphans, etc. So, those are in brief. We can be able to give you more details later. There's some contact information there for John and Grace. Uh, we'd like to open it up for questions. We realize some people may have something they need to do at this time. You're welcome to leave, but you're welcome to stay and we'll entertain questions for the next 40 minutes or so. Yes, sir. Um, so I saw on very early on you were talking about uh, adults getting very good suppression in Kenya, uh, or, in, or at least in you guys' clinic, where it's up 91%. But for pediatric patients, it's only 66%. I was wondering, what about pediatric patients uh, cause for the drastic difference in uh, viral suppression? Okay. Uh, what happens to the pediatrics compared to the others? Uh, for example, these pediatrics, most of them are orphans. So they are taken care of by relatives. Uh, That's what we have seen in our, in our clinics. And uh, the change of relatives. Today they are living with someone else. We cancel this uh, relative. Next time they come, they are having another caretaker. So change of caretakers is one way that really interferes with the treatment of these children. Secondly, they are like they are reluctant. Okay, it's not my child. Although I'm taking care of. Okay, during the review clinics, they don't come to the clinics. It's required. They don't get the, they miss appointments. And we have seen that it is because they are really not taken good care of. Sometimes they are left under the young ones to take care of them. Even by nutrition. You just see they are not even good health-wise. And when you try to follow, the problem is now the caretaker. So what now we are doing is to get one caretaker. 
will take care of these children. We will take care of their medication and we cancel them. Otherwise, they are lost. We, we, lose, we lose most of them. Yeah. Second, you, they have to sign a consent that I will take care of this child. And we get their phone numbers and we get their okay, contact and we follow them back at home. Yeah, that's what now we are really doing to get these children not to die because most of them are going to die yeah, under the hands of careless caretakers. Yeah. Question. Yes, ma'am. Um, what does resistance look like for the population that you're serving? She asked, um, what does um, resistance look like in the community that, we're, that you're working in? Resistant to art therapy. Like for drugs? Okay, like, let's say the client has been put on medication. You know now you just put the client on medication straight away. Uh, despite of the very low, you just put them on the drugs. The first day you test them. Through counseling, on the drug preparedness, guidance, and compliance. So after six months of the treatment, as well now you take the first very low. Okay, maybe it might go higher, but we continue giving a health education. After six months again, we do another test. And if it is still high, then now we start to do what we call enhance adherence time center. And now we take again another sample after three months. And if it is still remains high, then we say it's now treatment failure. After now we find out that the client is really compliant, it's adhering to uh, the drugs, the pill count, we can now say this client is safe in the first treatment. In looking at the literature, the World Health Organization has put out um, some statistics that in the last year, 12 out of 18 countries tested had a resistance rate over 10%, or about 10%. Um, so globally, that's what we're dealing with. Um, fortunately, I think in Kenya, their experience is that it's not as bad. They're not seeing as much drug resistance. It's more a compliance issue. And they really, what she described, really go after people getting back to being compliant. And, and if the viral load is too high, really chasing the adherence and compliance issues first. Uh, yes, over here. Let me restate the question. Um, first of all, with our 30 years experience, um, what have we seen regarding antiretroviral therapy? Uh, secondly, what difficulty is it with um, patients now having to pay for the opportunistic infection medication and then uh, the counterfeit medication issue? Um, 
So while the WHO was celebrating um, milestones and antiretroviral uh, heart treatment came out in 1996, um, we were definitely many years behind that. Um, we started getting some um, medications and treatment. When, when did they first come in, roll out in Kenya? Okay, so late, late 90s, um, and I think it was more widespread early 2000. Um, difficulty with uh, um, opportunistic infections, definitely. That's a huge issue. If, if patients, HIV-positive patients have gotten free care uh, for quite a long time, which in one way puts a real burden on the healthcare system. When, when a third of your patient base is HIV and a third of your patients are not paying anything, uh, that makes the finances kind of difficult. But the flip side, as he mentioned, a lot of the HIV-positive patients have really spent all their resources because they go seeking sometimes traditional medications, traditional um, solutions. Um, they have other family members, co-wives, who die first, leave children. It's just kind of this snowballing effect of financial difficulties. And uh, so for them, getting free care was really wonderful and helped tremendously for adherence and retention. Um, but as John said, there's donor fatigue at this point, and a lot of the funding sources are kind of redirecting. Um, HIV is seen as not quite the emergency, um, and targets are kind of changing. They're following the virus, as he said. Where, is, where are the hot spots? Understandably, but that's leaving some gaps. Um, and then discuss the, the counterfeit medications. What, what is your medication supply and how well can you trust it? Mm, I think uh, these drugs, uh, the flow is still very good. Both is still there are estimated by the Kenya Medical Supply Agency, which is actually being funded also by the international donors. So as, as I think, the flow is still very good. As long as you make your own reports, you report for what you get, I don't see any problem. But for the counterfeits, we have not seen them yet. Because I think they are still, they are really still controlled. Okay. Yes, sir. The gentleman is from Nairobi was asking, do we have uh, TB patients who are not HIV positive? Yes, we do. So many who are not HIV positive. Yeah. Yes, sir. question was, how do we address the stigma being such a, a difficult obstacle? Yeah, that's, like what I just mentioned before, we have what we call the TAPS. Those are treatment, adherence, support. 
and also we have counselors. Was this thing really require a lot of counseling? There's something about life and death. Some people do not want to hear that you are even going to test them. They say, I better die while I do my situation. So, but I think that there are good packages now for counseling and also for follow-up where you even involve the, the family. So, I think that stigma is really, really reduced significantly. Yes. Yes. Okay. Go ahead, and then we'll get to you. Have you used the methods of compliance, like the tasks and stuff like that, for other disease processes at your facility? She's asking if they use the TASP um, methods and um, staff for other problems, other diseases. Yeah, actually, CHP, Commercial Partners, we are actually the second biggest health provider after the Ministry of Health in our county. And we do quite a number of programs, from sanitation to HIV, to maternal health, to TB, and even cholera management and all that. And we use the same strategy. You know, TARS is really good for terminal problems, including cancer. It's really good and it works. Practically, I've been working in these communities for the last 30 years. And even before TAS became a strategy being used by so many people, we were using it in our own situation. So it is practical. We have some questions on this side, John. Let's take this side of the room. Yes, ma'am. I have a question about logistics. Um, my experiences in Nigeria, like, do you get your medicine on time and and do you have a some kind of a delivery route and your vehicle breaks down or your supply doesn't come or your machine where you do your counts doesn't work? Like, how do you deal with that part, that section? To repeat the question, she asked um, from her experience in Nigeria, um, a lot of times um, vehicles bringing medicines break down, machines to run tests break down. How do we deal with those logistical problems? Yeah, especially when you're working in the rural areas, logistics are very difficult. But to our own situation, we we are part of a, I mean a, a medical drug supply, a church base. This is a medical, I mean, uh, essential drug supply. This is run by the church. The processor churches and the Catholic Secretariat. And we generally, we are members of that. And we now we don't go to Nairobi to get these drugs. We order from them online, and then they have to get to this company to bring to where we are. And then we pick from our own vehicles, which are four-wheel vehicles, and take them down to the rural health facilities. So we have to address our own situation. Otherwise, patients will stay with their drugs. The only challenge is when it rains, because rivers get flooded. You cannot even pass through some of these roads. So, but when, when, when we know that's going to rain, we'll definitely stop our facilities and probably use motorcycle to be able to, 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 to pass through some cattle trucks to our facilities. 
Yes, ma'am. Um, how are, do you deal with the stigma coming from, like, the community, the HIV-negative people? How are they treating the people who are positive, and how are you – do you have any programs to help facilitate more acceptance? So, yeah, what the question is uh, about stigma between HIV positive, HIV negative, and how do we um, facilitate cooperation? Yeah, it is a challenge because, you know, initially HIV, when you are positive, they take it. That one is a curse. You are cast and you are, you are not supposed to leave because God is going to contend you. Mm-hmm. You see? And some of them even wonder, you know, even people in the chat, why do God allow all this problem to happen to me and I, I am safe and, you know, things like that. But, just through the task strategy and the church, we are actually integrating HIV services to the church. We want the pastors to play a big role because people really trust the church. So that they can allow us to do other things. So when you are positive, we invite your pastor. We will introduce you to your pastor. And then, of course, that pastor will be handling you spiritually. And we handle you medically. And then, of course, we, we have um, community owned resource people. I don't know whether you know those community owned resource people. These are people who are respected in the community. When you are difficult, when you want to commit suicide, when you want to do anything bad to yourself, we'll invite this man to be on board to make sure that most these guys are respected in the community. So we are trying everything possible to address all these, you know, issues. Okay. Is dried blood spot the preferred method for doing viral load for all your patients? He asked if the dried blood spot is the preferred method for using viral load testing. For viral loads and also for the samples you collect for the babies, that is how they require the standard view of the dry blood samples. Yes, ma'am. I do HIV uh, uh, treatment of pregnant women here in the States, but one thing that, two things I think that are a little different is we have a much bigger problem with people who are also drug users, mm-hmm. who all, that seems to be much less, at least when I've been in, when I've been in Kenya.
people who have non-detectable formula of marmalades start to do exclusive breastfeeding. There's a couple of things that people may want to know about things that are a little different from here, because the challenges in some ways um, are, uh, we, we have some different challenges. It's true. Yeah, different countries and different cultures have different challenges. Uh, so she was asking about uh, IV drug abuse. Do we see that in conjunction with HIV? And then a question about breastfeeding or comments, um, how it's exclusive breastfeeding, that actually mixing some bottled feeding, some breastfeeding, has a higher transmission rate than either of those alone. That's true. So HIV, uh, IV drug abuse, do you see that? Uh, for drug abuse, uh, we have not really encountered much about drugs. Uh, and mostly our antenatal mothers are at the age of uh, 19 to around 35. And in our communities, we find that the older mothers are the ones who choose the tobacco and also like Alcoholism is, is rarely on this age bearing. So it's not common for drugs during that period of the young mothers. But maybe outside, those who are not the general population, we find that sometimes it is really a concern. Mostly for the men, they go on drinking and they are taking medication. So they are going on ongoing counseling. And you said about the breast milk and the... Is it mostly, are your, are your babies largely exclusively breastfeeding or how about the ones who are having different, you were talking about the caregivers? Okay, mostly, okay, it's a very good question because we have others that the mothers died just when they were born. So in that case, uh, they have no option but to continue taking the other, other formulas, mostly the cow milk, and because they are not breastfeeding, then the risk of them getting the virus is, is very, very low, zero, because now they are not getting any other additional virus. And so they just continue with the formulas and under the caregivers. But uh, we encourage the mothers to do exclusive, uh, exclusive breastfeeding for the past six months. Uh, we counsel mothers before they deliver that the breast milk, despite having the virus, is also uh, very nutritive and it's the best the baby can get for the past six months. This is the first immunization the baby gets from the mother. So we can you provide um, formula for those babies? Because I understand that one of the biggest problems with that formula it is a problem. We have a few of them even bringing the containers and we teach them how to where and mix the formula. And we also have the community health workers follow them to their homes to remind them on how to mix the formula. Because you know in hygienical you also you get this ladies to get the idea and formula. So we have a, a caretaker and we teach them on how to prepare the, the but mostly 
Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.